Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Good morning, Liz. Hello, Chandra. How are you? I am really well, and I'm very excited to be talking with you this morning. Yeah, I can't even remember how long ago it was that we actually last oh, chatted. I know. Over a year, I think. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're right. I think I saw you crossing the street near Mick's shop when I was in the car once but oh, um, yeah. wasn't quick enough to either pull over or yell out the window at you like a crazy stalker, but that was oh, probably well, it. Yeah, that's me and my comfort sneakers um, <laughs> racing around Bondo Junction going from <laughs> one place to another. <laughs> yes, I, I know the feeling. I seem to be doing that more than I am in one at a desk these days. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. No, no, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Liz, thank you for being here and agreeing to have a chat about you and your journey of you know where you've come from and, and what you're doing now to give people that are listening some context what might be a great place to start is to talk about what you used to do what was I guess when you think about your last major career what were you doing well I I kind of divide it into before children and after children <laughs> because that has been the a natural transition point for me, which it probably is for, for lots of women. Before children, I was a lawyer for, oh gosh, 15 years, I think. And I had gone into a family firm kind of by accident because I thought I was going to continue with my English degree. And I had this kind of idea in mind that I might like to be an academic. And having kind of ventured into my sixth year at uni, I just suddenly thought, I can't do this anymore. I need to get into the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I joined my dad's firm, thinking it would be just a short period of time, which I got my articles and then I could practice. But I ended up staying, became a partner. And I just loved it because it was, I guess it was a small firm practice. I started out just doing kind of criminal law, family law, and then kind of progressed as I kind of, I guess, matured in my, my career into more commercial property. And later on, after I'd had my first child, I did more estate planning. It was a bit more family friendly and I could work part time. Okay. So that was my, it was, it was a very con- conventional kind of career and I loved it. But then it sort of, I guess, I had to make a decision once my children came along and I, they came three children in fairly quick succession and I also had IVF as well. So I realised that was probably not going to be a, a, the sort of career that I could kind of fit the sort of family life I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I had to make a decision at that point. Yeah. And so you, we were very efficient with motherhood, just, you know, getting yes. three, you know, three kids in close succession, <laughs> ticking things off. And so off, yeah. what were some of the things that obviously you at that point had to make a decision about this? I think what, how you phrased it was the sort of family life that you wanted to create an experience and a work environment that was going to allow that what were some of the things that you were weighing up? Well, I guess that my kind of ideal in my head was that I wanted to be 
able to be around when the kids came home from school. Now, mm-hmm. of course, when you have children there, <laughs> that seems a long way off. But in my head, that's the sort of my mum had always worked, but she was able to do it in a must have been amazing back then in the sort of 70s and 80s. But she'd been flexible enough to be home when we got home from school. I think she must have worked from nine till three or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to do that with my kids as well. And I guess also the technology that had evolved from the time I had first started working to when the children were born had sort of opened that door, I guess. You know, before that you had to be in an office and you had to be at your computer. But it was sort of becoming more flexible and the possibilities of working from home on certain days and being able to be in different locations was sort of opened up. And I guess the first kind of real indication of that for me was when I I had my first child and I think I was working one or two days a week and I just – used to say they were my client days and people just would book up that day and then I'd do another day of just doing the actual physical work, which I didn't need to be in the office for. So so that really, you know, just by necessity, like everyone kind of fitted around it and I just sort of thought, well, you, you know, you can make things work. You don't, yeah. you don't have to continue in the way you've always done it and it was, I sort of just came across that accidentally, I guess, and, and the technology had allowed it to. And, that, that, and that's no small thing, like that being able to log on anywhere and do things flexibly has really fundamentally changed the workplace. Yes, totally. So much more flexibility that, you know, had I I been doing it 10 years earlier, it wouldn't have been possible. Yeah. And so it sounds like you'd sort of, you created this great system that was working for you, but you didn't decide to stay doing that. What happened? No, and I didn't decide to stay doing that because we, my father died very suddenly and that kind of upturned everything. So I then was facing the prospect of running what was a two-partner law firm and we had sort of – it was 20 staff. It was not a small operation. And I suddenly didn't have my business partner and my mm-hmm. dad but we, and we had worked so well together. So I had to then make a decision about how it was going to work. So that meant it wasn't going to be part-time. It was going to be non-stop. I, they're it's really demanding running any business, let alone, you know, the law firm practice as well. Yeah. So I had to make a decision then and I decided to sell the business mm-hmm. and I ended up having a – I worked for the owner for a couple of years and then we had an opportunity to move to Sydney with my husband's work and that was kind of the turning point where I just had to decide – what was my career landscape going to look like from that point on? Was I going to move to Sydney and start a practice again, join another practice, continue with law? And so that, I guess, that, that was an external factor that pushed my decision. So I had already started my family. I had started working part-time and I'd continued that for a few years, but it was really that decision to move to Sydney that I, that really forced the career change. Yeah. And look, it's interesting how it happens differently for different people, but sometimes there, there is some sort of external catalyst that forces right. the question or the decision because without that, it could have, you know, easily just sort of kept chipping along, same old, same absolutely, old. Yeah, absolutely. And I do reflect on that and think how, you know, would I ever have been brave enough to take the leap <laughs> not for being essentially forced to by circumstance? I mean, I still made the decision to do it, but yeah, without that kind of catalyst, I don't know. But, you know, who knows? 
Yes. And so um, you're in that situation, the catalyst is there. And so you've got the opportunity to decide, you know, that like a sliding doors moment of, you know, which way do I go? And I guess, what were some of the options that you were weighing up at that stage? So the first thing that happened when I you know, hit sort of unpacked the boxes in Sydney <laughs> was to take up an opportunity with a good mate of mine. Mine, uh, Natalie, we'd been done law together and she had started a business called CPD Interactive, which was online professional development for lawyers. And it was really new online learning. And she had some excellent contacts. She'd worked in the legal research field for years and but most of the contacts were in Sydney the large law firms and she kind of needed someone on the ground in Sydney so as soon as I was there she was in Melbourne that was my first kind of work opportunity that sort of fell into my lap and meant I could work flexibly and I just said yes which I guess I tend to do quite a bit (laughs) and just work 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 it out later yeah so that was a that was a change in so far as it was out of law practice, but it wasn't out of the legal field altogether. Mm-hmm. It was essentially a kind of a sales and business development role, and I just had to learn learn as I went. Yeah, and that ended up turning into a business that I ended up. I took a stake in that business, and that conti- that was back in two thousand and. 11, I think, and we we finally sold that practice last year to the College of Law. So that, that turned into kind of, I guess, one of the strands of business that I kind of ended up be, being in, which yeah. has, you know, sort of, I guess the post-law career has been multiple, multiple ventures. Yeah, it sounds like it. So, so that sort of, you know, really leveraged a, an existing connection as well as existing experience that you had being in the legal industry That's but opened right. up into that I guess the online learning space as something different and so that you were doing that in parallel because that wasn't full-time was it? No that wasn't full-time and I I still had a two-year-old a four-year-old and a six-year-old so oh that's um, busy and so it was pretty busy so that was that was the sort of Thing I jammed in around the edges, and I had a bit of. I think I had a you know one or two nanny days where I'd do that, but you know they weren't full days. So I, I just, as I've kind of always done, just made sort of juggled and made things sort of happen as mm-hmm. best I can. And then uh, subsequent to that, I opened the little space, which was, was, was another strand of my kind of the businesses that I run at the moment. So yeah, so, so yeah, <laughs> so talk about that. As well. <laughs> So tell me, so how did the little space come about? What is it and how did that happen? So the little space came about because I now was working with CPD Interactive, but I was working from home. So that wasn't really suiting me because I I kind of needed, uh, I just kind of needed that clear kind of thinking space. And I had been used to having an office and like a professional environment, I guess, to work in. And I really just disliked being, I just really didn't like working from home. So, and I felt that I needed kind of an environment around when other people were working in their businesses. So, with a friend of mine, Rochelle, we opened, we just sort of took the plunge and opened a space uh, in Bondo Junction and we took a tenancy there. And sort of, I think our original idea was co working for women, like, you know, just basically us who needed flexible space. And we very quickly worked out that that was a fairly small market. And if we were going to survive, we'd have to have a broader offering Mm -hmm. so it went from women only to anybody and then we as time went on we realized people 
wanted meeting space and event space and off-site corporate space. And so we, we sort of grew over time to offer kind of, I guess, a total smorgasbord of spaces for business. So now we've got consulting room for psychologists. We've got couple of workshop spaces we've got, still got our original little co-working area and we've got a little boardroom space so it's kind of a bit of everything and it also gives me a space to work so yeah um, yeah nice so it sounds like that business started with an original intention but then from business practicalities and market feedback it then had to evolve a bit it had to evolve and it had to evolve quite quickly because it's pretty overhead heavy yeah so rents are pretty eye-watering in sydney commercial rents yeah and you've got internet and power and cleaning and so you know if you're going to pay pay all those bills at the end of the week you've got to get the revenue through and i guess that thing that we did with that business is we just tapped into the need and it was yeah quickly it was evident quickly that if people were coming in asking for something and you were saying no then perhaps you had to have a look at what the offering was. So it has really adapted to meet what the need was in that particular area. So. Yeah, nice. And so, and you mentioned there's something else that you're doing as well. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so because we've sold the CPD Interactive business, my mate Nat, who I've just worked for all, with all these years, has started a new project called Diversity, which came out of the online learning space. So that's that's a video course creation tool but it extends beyond the world of law now so essentially just going on that continuing that journey with her and involved in that business I guess it's very similar to the progress of CPD Interactive but it's just switched (laughs) switched businesses now so and I think the thing I guess we have a kind of a similar philosophy is that we both you know just have a certain way we like to work that's why we work for ourselves and we work really well together and we love growing new businesses. So I guess that's kind of what we do. Yeah, it sounds like it. And as soon as you've got any hint of any available time, you are straight into, right, what's the next opportunity? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. yeah. So as a serial uh, career changer, business creator, when you think back to those moments of maybe before getting into the little space and potentially with the new venture as well, can you share any sort of thoughts that you have around any concerns that you know you had, any any fears that were kicking around for you before going into making that change? So now, yeah, I wonder, I sometimes wonder what I was thinking and why I didn't think more about what was wrong because what, like now you look back and think, oh, my God, I mean, that was just crazy. Why did we just leap in like that yeah. without thinking about it? So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just my personality. But, yeah, I think I probably, I mean, I've always had a kind of idea about the, the kind of business parameters because all those years running the law firm, it was also a small business, so you, yeah. do, you do have an idea of I know about profit margins and I know how tight they are with any business and that essentially, you know, in a 12-month period, you know, you hit profit in, you know, the third last month or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, it's – so I do have a kind of a grasp of, you know, how high that bar is to make it all work. But I also think with any business, you you kind of, in my mind, the back of my mind, I think, okay, what's the worst case scenario if it doesn't work? What sort of position am I in? And so I've never kind of 
made it so bad that, you know, if, if nothing worked, that it would be disastrous. So, you know, I'm not putting the mortgage, you know, the, I'm not mortg- mortgaging myself to the Hilton pouring it all into my businesses. You know, I've always yeah. done it incrementally. I've, I've done it as tight on initial funds layout as, as possible to make it work so that you can adapt and change. So I've, I guess I've kind of had those things in place, but also I think you just at some point just have to dive in and see what happens. You just don't, no one knows, right? Yeah. And you just have to be able to change if it's not working and, you know, be able to kind of, oh, I say pivot. I guess that's what it is. So you just got to pivot as you go. And we've had yeah. to do that in all the businesses. It happens all the time. And, you know, the, the product that you release in the beginning may not be what it looks like at the end you have to you just have to respond all the time so yeah so I think in that sense you can't be too worried at the outset about what can go wrong because you just don't don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna go yeah and look I love hearing that about the approach that you've taken because often you know the clients that I work with or people that I talk with who are considering making some kind of move a significant move in their work life the fear of the unknown is often the thing that keeps them stuck and yes, potentially yeah. the the overthinking versus just getting started. And so I think what I'm hearing from you is, is that element of, well, you've got a bit of an idea and then you also need to let the market give you feedback to see what happens and also to see how it works for your lifestyle. Exactly. That's right. And you really, there is no point spending three years building the world's greatest product to release it and find that no one wants it. So you're much better off starting with something that isn't perfect and that isn't complete and is just enough to get going to test the water and then see, see how it goes from there. Because I think just no one knows. There's no magic formula. If, if there was, then, you know, everyone would be a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the worst-case scenario kind of idea is quite a good approach to say, well, if this totally failed, what would happen? And maybe that means for some people it means keeping another, you know, income stream going in the beginning until you know or something. You know, I I don't know if it's different, but, yeah, you can overthink because – at some point you just do not know what will happen so you might as well just give it a go and see. Yeah, exactly. And to that point about, you know, for some people potentially keeping some kind of existing revenue stream happening whilst they experiment or put the toe in the water of whatever the new thing is, that can sometimes be a good approach. Some people don't like that because they it, they have too much of a comfort zone and so they never really delve into the next thing. But for That's other right. people, it gives them a sense of confidence that they can experiment with the new thing without feeling like, you know, as you said, the, they're not going to have the money to pay the bills at the end of the, the month, etc. Um, yes, yeah. so, so I think a big part of it is around self-awareness of and also your threshold for risk, I guess, too. Yes, yes. And what do you need in place to feel comfortable to start making steps forward? One thing I'm curious about with you is the fact that you've this serial entrepreneur of, you know, business creator. Have you always been like that? Or when did you know that, that working for yourself or having your own business or businesses was going to be something that you wanted to do? Was it something you were aware of? Well, yeah, I guess it's sort of, I mean, I guess it, again, sort of happened accidentally as I kind of started work in the law firm. I mean, it was, there was just not enough resources for anyone to hold your hand for very long. So, you know, from 
almost the start, you're kind of handed a file and got, we're told, right, turn up at, you know, the court on Monday morning, here's your client, off you go, and <laughs> you're madly scrambling to try and find out what you needed to do on that day. And, you know, there's no sh- shortage of embarrassing anecdotes of, you know, having the wrong end of the stick or <laughs> yes, <laughs> learning very quickly this was the way to do it. So I guess that kind of, I guess that I, I, I very quickly got hooked on that sort of sense of, well, it's just all down to me. I am in a workplace with others, but essentially we're all kind of almost working like independent people within this organisation mm-hmm. and it's you and your client. And so I guess it's been like that ever since, men, men customers or whoever, but it's just that's it's not a boss driving me. It's myself driving me and the desire to provide a good outcome for the person I'm working with or for. So I guess at some point the idea of kind of being in kind of a machine of a workplace just felt like something I just didn't appeal to me. So I, I guess that's just my personality. Yeah. That's how it's worked out. And not everyone's like that. Some people need that structure. But I just like working this way and I can't imagine working any other way. The downside is you never kind of ever switch off really. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But then you have to be kind of quite disciplined about ensuring that you do disconnect and aren't constantly on your phone or not present with the people around you. So that's the that's the other side of it. But yeah, yeah, I think it's I I think it's a real personality thing. Yeah, and I think um it's really interesting. I love that approach that you shared where even when you were technically an employee you still had that sense of ownership of the client that you were working with and the outcome that you were helping to facilitate. And I think that whether you are employed or you have your own business, that sense of commitment to the results that you're delivering, I think is very similar. Yeah, and it's such a nice, simple model to me. Like it strips out all the politics of the workplace essentially. Yeah. And it just leaves you with you and the the place you're headed so if that's providing an awesome service or a lovely product or, or whatever then that the, the rest of it's pulled away so you're kind of not wasting your time with silly rules about workplaces which yes would drive me insane I think yeah it's interesting I've been doing a project recently where I've gone back into a workplace that I used to be in and you know different I guess, offices around the country and reminding myself of what it's like when you work in a, an office with a whole team and, you know, for all the, all the great things and also reminded about some of the things like, yeah, I'm not really sure how I gel with that now after having yeah, worked I for know. myself for a while. It's really interesting. And from my point of view, I don't know that I ever really consciously decided that I wanted to work for myself. There was through a, a series of different I guess, sliding doors moments that led to that. But I wasn't ever someone who grew up, you know, feeling like I had that entrepreneurial spark in me at all. So that's why I'm, I'm really curious about for, for some people, whether it's just always been there or, uh, you know, how that evolves. Because there certainly are a lot of people that I speak with who just instantly would say, no, it could never work for myself. That's right. And, and you know, I, I think that, that that's in some regards a good thing to have a level of self-awareness around either your own sense of need for discipline and structure versus independence and freedom. And also I think that potentially some people's perception of what it's like working for yourself might be different from what it actually is. So, you know, I think it, it does come down to, 
the individual checking in with what's that outcome that I'm wanting to contribute to the people that I work with and what are all the different ways that I could help do that? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting my um, colleague Natalie at Bidversity asks people when she employs them is how, how do you like to work? And it's kind of an interesting question because, you know, I guess the society needs all types, right? We need some yeah. people who are happy to sit there from nine to five and take the help desk calls or whatever. And we need other people who are free flowing. And so everyone does have a kind of a way they like to work. And if you can kind of tap into that, then you're going to get the most out of people. Yes. It's just how, how people are built. Yes. And, that, you know, there's very many different tasks that need to be done and so we can't all be the same thank god no that's right <laughs> and, it's, and it's, again at the work landscape now and the technology that's available has just opened this up enormously to yes. how it was a generation ago when if you wanted to start a business then you, you still needed a bricks and mortar <laughs> yeah shop or outlet or whatever and you, you became the employer whereas now it, you know there's just an amazing a number of resources that are, uh, enable you to do it yeah you know almost overnight you can become self-employed if you want to the gig economy allows us to engage people really easily and you know amazing marketing resources I mean everything is just so much more democratic than it once was yeah the accessibility and the, the path to entry is as yeah, you say so much easier entry, yeah yeah it's very new I mean it is really just a, a very it's sort of a half a generation really but that's been an opportunity yeah so one of my aspirational visions in life that I would love to see happen in the world is that I would love it if every person was doing work that they actually really loved and you know whether that's the person that's making you a coffee in the morning or the uber driver or the shop assistant or the the accountant whoever that they are feeling in some way fulfilled and what they do for work is meaningful because I think that that just elevates everybody's experience of of life so I guess that's partly why I do what I do is to try and encourage people to explore the directions that will lead them to do work that they do feel like is playing to their strengths and is contributing their highest value I guess to others yeah I mean that's just that's kind of that utopian idea but I think (laughs) um I was reading about one of the Scandinavian countries seem to get so much right yes. um, because they've got this incredible kind of social safety net. They've got, they at any point can go back and study and change careers and they get funded to do it. And that's kind of partway, I guess, to that idea where, you know, people, if people feel financially safe to make those decisions, then they're more likely to do it. So yeah. That hurdle's taken out. So, I mean, that would be that would, that would be incredible. Oh, it? would everyone be? I know. And look, it's nicer on the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I am prepared to accept. Someone told me once that a, that a big vision really is something that you may never see happen in your lifetime, but you contribute to it and you would love it if it did one day happen. So that's, I'm quite happy to just contribute in whatever small way I can towards that maybe one day, someday utopian reality. Yeah, and if and you know if someone's listening now and then they feel that they get the courage to take the leap and do end up doing something they really love, then that's that's a small change that has a ripple effect. So exactly, it's really important to talk about it. And the other thing I reckon is really worth mentioning is you really need. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff out there about mentoring, but I think you really with with these things often it's a solitary 
exercise. And yeah. I think it's really important to have someone that you take with you on that journey who's not necessarily a business partner but just someone who can provide you with some advice or a, a, an ear yes. <laughs> when you need it because yep. I think that's really important just for your own well-being but also a way of clarifying your decisions. You need someone to bounce them off. They don't have to be in your business. They can be outside it but I really think that's a really massively important part of it. I couldn't agree more because there's there's something about having – and I, I probably am a bit biased, but I, I believe that the power is in having someone to have an objective conversation with because Absolutely. we can have family and friends who love you and they want the best for you. However, they tend to have a vested interest in certain decisions that you make or don't make and therefore the conversation may not be as beneficial as having a conversation with someone who still, you know, cares about you and the outcome, but they're not directly attached to you staying, doing the same job you've always done because that's predictable and safe. And, you know, finding that circle of people or whether it is a coach or a mentor or a group that you're part of, I really agree that it's really important. And it's so rare for us to give ourselves permission to talk about ourselves Oh. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And very often with these things, once you start to talking about them, you realize you know the answer. But it might not be a decision that's easy, and so you'll tend to talk yourself out of it or yeah. talk around it. And yep. people, if are too close to you, will just agree with you and tell you what you, you want to hear. Yeah, upset you. Yeah, but yeah, you need someone with yeah, just that little bit of distance. And it might be just someone, another professional in the field or, Mm -hmm. you know, a practice group might be a professional coach. But I just really think it's just a really, that's the one thing I think that is just essential. Yes, couldn't agree more. And there's a couple of things that have come up for me in what you've just been mentioning around how other people can respond when you are making a significant change because of, you know, the vested interests that different people in our lives have. What was your experience of that when you think about, you know, the different people that were in your life? How did they respond at the various stages of you deciding, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore. We're going to do this online thing, you know, for example. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So I think um, I've been really lucky in that I've been really supported and so I've never really had the problem where someone's sort of pushed against that decision and I think that would be quite hard to do if you had, if your partner or spouse or whoever was pushing against it. So I've yeah. really always had that support. But then I've also talked, always talked it through from the beginning. And so my reasoning process through it all has been transparent. And so it hasn't just, I haven't just walked in and gone, right, this is what I'm doing now. So. Yes, out of, um, you know, left field completely, you're yeah, all of a sudden exactly, going to do this thing. Exactly right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think that support, I think it would be hard to do it without the support. Yeah. I yeah, I, don't, I, I think it would be much, you'd, you'd have to really, but, you know, often you do have a fire in your belly about these things when you do them and you really have a sense that this is really what you want to do and yeah. a clear, clear sense that it's it's right. So, again, that's that kind of, I guess, instinct feeling that you've got to listen to and think, yep. no, I'd really need to do this. I don't want to feel like i I didn't have a crack and I'll yeah. regret it later. Yeah, so well said. And I think it is, it's that self-awareness of noticing the fire in the belly or, or, or that yeah. feeling of discontent that gets to a point where it's like, actually, is this going to be the rest of my life that I'm going to feel a bit neutral about what I'm doing? 
right. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's a short life. Things can, I mean, I've seen enough to know that it can all be taken away quite quickly. Yeah. And, you know, you really have to remember this, you know, these opportunities pass you by. You maybe should reach out and grab them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Look, the, the second thing that you touched on earlier that I want to revisit, and it's sort of in connection with the option of, of keeping one line of, of income coming in whilst experimenting or exploring something new and also the Scandinavian approach to fin- providing financial support for people to study and what that opens up. So one of the things that often comes up when I'm talking with people and they either do have a fire in the belly about they've got an idea, something that they'd love to do, but it's in their mind it's almost an impossible dream and they make it an impossible dream in their mind because of finances. So I'm curious for you, how did money play a part, if at all, in your decision-making around these various transitions? How did you approach that side of things? So obviously when I had kids and was out of the picture for a while, there was no income for me personally, but I'm married. So we have a shared, as a family, we had income. Mm -hmm. So I had some time in there where that was factored into our family planning. So that was part of our joint decision. But I wanted to be part of the workforce in some way. So I wanted to get up and running again. And so I, having multiple sources of income in you know, sort of post-law career was a good way for me to, to sort of not lean too heavily on one or the other. So I guess they were two kind of relatively new ventures, but they both had an income stream attached to them. So mm-hmm. um, I guess instead of going into a full-time brand new venture, I had two going yeah. really quite quickly at the same time. Yeah. And then now as we've sold one of them, I'm feeding another one in, so I'll effectively have two. So, again, so that's – not many people probably would do it that way, but that's how I've I've done it. And so – and I've found it quite good in that, you know, it, businesses have cycles of where you're busier and less busy and income's lumpy in business as well. Yep. So having the two has actually, I, I felt, sort of taken the stress off it a bit because, you know, you can – focus a bit more on one than the other or you know they, they've sort of balanced each other out so that yep. for me has been the way I've done it but I guess the equivalent for some people would be perhaps scaling back their main job to part-time while they try and build the second part you know their new venture yeah or you know with a new venture you can sometimes do it in a smaller way so you might, might want to launch full-time as you know whatever but you might start by just doing some a little bit of consulting, for example, so just to test the water. Yeah, like almost as that side gig to just see. Side gig, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah, so there's a lot, like, just so many ways you can skin a cat. Yeah, and look, I, I love the fact that you have taken quite an unconventional approach with that because certainly a lot of people would say it is unwise to start two businesses at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, but that's why yeah. I say, I'll look back and think, oh, my God. Yeah, what was I thinking? But what what in the in the moment you were making decisions that felt right for you, and that's what I love about hearing your story is that you weren't looking to some external guru or factual step by step process to tell you here's exactly how you create business success. You were actually following your instinct. You were following your years of experience and having that sense of openness to what's in front of me and what looks like a good thing for me to do next and see how it goes. Yeah, and they were also opportunity-driven. So I didn't kind of 
say, I think I'll step into the online CPD legal world now. It's just that thing that passed in front of me at the time. And I thought, great, that looks really fun. I can do that. And don't forget, like across all of this, if all of that had been a total failure, I could have gone back to being a lawyer. So yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't mean that I had, couldn't go back to the thing. And I did, you know, initially kind of toss that around when I moved to Sydney, what would I do? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's never a kind of a dead end really. You yeah. can always go back and do what you're doing before. Yes, and it's. I think sometimes we can as human beings set ourselves up and be a bit of a hard taskmaster of think, thinking that, oh, if you had to do that, that that would be such a failure when in reality right, yeah. it's so not. But this is, again, just part of that uh, inner voice dialogue that is designed to just keep us safe and small and not doing anything new. So I love the fact that you you took those steps forward to take up and explore some of these opportunities without putting so much pressure on yourself that, oh, you know, I've burned the boats and if this doesn't work, you know, I'm yeah, going to be living on right. the street. Yeah. No, no, exactly. Like there's always, you know, it's not like you, you don't lose your experience, you don't lose your qualifications. Yeah. That's all sitting there. Like that's still sitting there as a resource. And you just have to be reasonably optimistic that, you know, that there's a spot for you somewhere. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so I guess that's in your back of your mind as well as you take the plunge and think, well, if it all doesn't work, I can just go back to doing what I was doing before. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's not such a bad thing. That's not such a bad thing. No. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about what you're doing now and the, and the different businesses that you've got going on, what do you think is most meaningful or most important to you in what you're doing for work now? So probably I just really like the idea of like the evolution of businesses. Mm -hmm. So as soon as things are routine, I probably get a bit bored. So things evolving and changing and growing are probably the, the thing that's most important to me in what I do. And so you're kind of pushing against comfort all the time with Mm -hmm. things. Yes. (laughs) That's, that's what I like. That's what I find appealing. And yeah, I just, as long as it's uh, – that's just what I find interesting. So I guess that's my motivation. My challenge is trying to control the busyness, which I think is – yeah, that's – I guess that's personally for me is the challenge is to control the busyness and, yeah, so you've still got – so, what, you know, when the kids come home, I'm with the kids and I'm not on my laptop. Yes. You know, when I'm at work, I'm at work and I'm not too divided amongst things. So mm-hmm. that's, that, that is a challenge with having multiple work streams. Yeah, for sure. And do you have any particular approaches or tools or rituals, things that help you with that? So I have a few rules for myself with things I do. So exercise is really important. Mm-hmm. So I just have time carved out every day that I just really am quite disciplined about sticking to that because – and, and – and, you have to be disciplined in not working. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can relate. <laughs> and so because it's a bottomless pit, of course, so you have to say, well, it will all wait and no one's going to die if I don't answer that email and mm-hmm. now is the time for me to go for my run or go and you know, help out at school or whatever I've decided for that day is my time. So yeah. That's the discipline, I yeah. think, of working for yourself. Yeah, nice. I want to just reflect a, a language distinction that I heard in what you said is that often people say, I know that I need to exercise more, but I don't I don't have the time. And what you said was that I have time carved out every day. And yeah. what that language suggests to me is that 
you do have time for it, but it's a matter of allocating it. And yes, yeah. often we don't want to acknowledge that, that we do have time. We all have the same amount of time as everyone else, but it's about what you do with that time, which links to what have you made important. And you, you called that a rule for yourself. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because I know, and I know if I don't do it, then I just don't operate very well. Yeah. So I have to, you know, it's just one of those things where I'll be better at work and I'll be better, be better with my family and I'll, I'll just have a better day all round if I do that. Yeah, and that's that whole thing about, you know, needing to fill your tank and be nurturing you in order to show up and have your best game in whatever you're, you're doing, whether it's work or home or, or family or friends or that's whatever. That's right, yeah, exactly. And, you know, my kids are now, well, they're 10, 12 and 14, and they're watching you and they're modelling their behaviour on you. So I just uh, constantly thinking, you know, Put your phone down, put it away. You know, now yes. it's family time. Like it's, I think it's really important to be to like maintain that discipline. Yeah, that the impact of what is it that you are endorsing through your behaviour and showing this is what's most important right now because yeah. they are, you know, as you say, they're absorbing all of that and you can say a lot. But what's that saying? Something about I can't hear what you're saying because what you're doing is speaking so loud. That's right. Something like that. It is, yeah. Very conscious. So they're like little, yeah, they're your own conscience walking around. (laughs) Yes, reflecting back. I don't want you doing what I'm doing now, so I'm going to stop. Yeah, yeah, good one. (laughs) So just as I'm mindful of time, so a couple of quick questions. What comes to mind for you in regard to any sort of tips or advice that you would have to someone who perhaps is listening who has been thinking for a little while about making some sort of change, whether that's a change from working in a certain industry into a different industry or changing into doing their own thing, when you think back about your approach and the lessons that you have learned, any tips or advice coming to mind for you? So what's the what tip? So first of all, have that mentor-type person mm-hmm. in place so you don't make any really stupid decisions. And <laughs> that person has to be like a real, like they have to challenge you on things yeah um, because it is easy to get swept up in the romance of it in the mm-hmm. beginning I mm-hmm. think that's really important so that's the kind of and I think also it's really important to with a cold eye go okay what is the worst case scenario if this fails yeah do I lose my house no do I am I potentially out of work for a couple of months while I look for another job you know like I think, really think it's important to look at that but then not to get too hung up on it either yeah and to really, as I said, to, if the opportunity passes and it's a good time and, you know, all the stars are aligned generally, then then do it. Yeah, have so, a crack. But, I, but I think don't do it in a way that is just romanticised. I think that's really important. So, yeah. so, so have, your, have your plan B. Yeah. But then don't get too caught up with the fear of it. Yeah. So I remember reading something about, you know, if you, when you're on the verge of making a change, if you can look at the worst case scenario, what could happen if you were to explore this opportunity. And if you can live with the worst case scenario or you can mitigate the worst case scenario happening, then that's a reason to move forward rather than not even wanting to consider or look at the worst case scenario and just staying safe in that bubble. And I think that's the balance, isn't it, of of not being, you know, blinkers on, ignoring what did you say taking that really romantic approach to this great opportunity idea 
but also not using it as the fear to stop you from making any kind of change. Yeah, exactly. And I think that plays into what everyone will have a level of risk that they feel comfortable with. Mm. Now, people have started businesses that have turned into, you know, massive, massive successful businesses and they've put everything in the line they've mortgaged their house they've mortgaged their parents house and they've put it all in and it's paid off but for all of those that have paid off there's probably lots that have failed yeah so you just have to work out what your level of risk is and that might be for some people okay i've saved 20 grand that i want i'm prepared to wager that on this business being a success and if it doesn't work then that's my you know, that's what I'm prepared to gamble on it. Yes. So, it's, so I think it is good business to look at the worst case scenario because it kind of puts a little fence around what your business looks like and will also stop you continuing if it's a disaster. But it gives you a comfort then to say, well, I've looked at that side and now what can it look like on the other side? So yeah. I don't think it's, it's not pessimistic to look at that. It's just good business to look at that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Liz, so good chatting with you. You too, Sandra. Any, really fun. <laughs> any passing or final thoughts that you want to share before we wrap up? No, I think that's probably, yeah, I think that's, I think, I think we've covered everything. I think hopefully it's given some people some food for thought and, yeah, perhaps some courage to do it if they feel like they've got that little burning desire. Yeah. You can do it in some way, even if it's a small way to start with. Yeah, those small steps to get you started because sometimes there's just it takes things take longer than you want them to or you, you think they might take. And so getting started, even if they're not ready to quit the job straight away or change what they're doing straight away, to start the exploration I think is really start, important. Yeah, exactly, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Just make a list and just start with the first few steps and see, yeah. see how you feel. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Liz. I really appreciate it. And I'm very excited to see how the new business venture goes. <laughs> Checking in another 12 months. Yeah. An update. Yeah. Fantastic. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Sandra. Well, I better go for my run, hey? Yes. You, you <laughs> off, go for your run. It's yeah, a rule. Yes, it's a rule. <laughs> <laughs> nice chatting. Great chatting with you. Thanks, Liz. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Transit Lounge. If you liked it, please do me a favor and leave a review so I can keep doing more episodes for you. And come and say hi in the private Facebook group, The Transit Lounge, being CEO you in the business of your life. I really look forward to connecting with you there. And until then, do whatever you can to create a future that you will love through the choices you make today. Today.